And good morning. morning. If you have your uh, Bible, we're going to be in Hebrews 4. And um, I'm so excited about this word today. I'm so excited about meeting around these uh, moments. I don't know if this is a series or not. Um, Just to be honest with you, it's just a piece of scripture that's been on my heart for a few weeks now. And I kind of knew after the last series we were at least headed this direction. So maybe it's one message, maybe it's 10 messages, I don't really know today, we'll find out I guess over the next few weeks, but we're going to be talking today about um, the Father's heart and specifically the Father's heart for us in the way of repentance. Um, Yeah, it's like an old-fashioned church word, right, like repentance, we know kind of what it means and this is not going to be a fire and brimstone kind of thing today, so if you're the person in the back that's like, I've been waiting on this, like, no, sorry. Um, but um, it, we are going to talk about repentance, and I think I have the definition of repentance because it's not a word we use very much anymore, but it's actually two things. It's to turn from sin and dedicate oneself to the amendment of one's life or and to feel regret or contrition um, about your sin. And I think for most of us, we get the idea that repentance is this idea that we're sorry for our sin, that we... A, have to recognize we are sinners. If you don't know that you're a sinner today, I just want to say that out loud. You're a sinner and I'm a sinner and and there's nothing really that's changed a whole lot about that. Maybe what you sin with has changed over the past few years in your life, but you're still a sinner and I'm still a sinner and I'm screwed up and you're screwed up. And it'd be really great if in church we could just get to that um, quicker sometimes. Like I think we all walk in and we're like, no, I'm good, I'm good, I'm good. And you're not, you're not. I'm not good, you're not good, none of us are good. Uh, it's the only thing in us that's good is God, right? Like, we're just not good. And if we'd be open and honest about that, maybe, maybe we would be more real with each other and we wouldn't feel alone in this place. But we're sinners. I'm a sinner and you're a sinner. And, and we get, I think, that we should be sorry for that, like that we should repent for that. I think sometimes we think repentance for sin is that one thing that we did that one time when we were, you know, X number of years old and we came down to the front of the room, we prayed this prayer that we really meant, right? And if we really meant it, then we're really going to heaven. And even though maybe that was like the start of repentance, I don't think that's God's heart for us for repentance. There's more to it than that. Because if you sin today, you should also repent today. And if you sin tomorrow, and you will, by the way, you should also repent tomorrow. Repentance is to feel sorry for one sin, not sorry that you got caught or sorry that God might be mad, but, but the actual sin bothers you, that you're sick of sin in your life. That's the idea of repentance. But it's also the second part that we would turn, we have that back up there for just a second, that we would turn from sin and that we would dedicate ourselves to the amendment of one's life, that we would turn from our sin. I've heard people say before, like, I'll just sin right now and God's forgiving and I'll like go repent later, right? Have you maybe heard that or said that? It's, that's not repentance. That's just feeling sorry that God's maybe mad about it. Um, <laughs> but it's this idea that, that our sin sickens us in such a way that we try to escape or run from or get away from our sin. The second part, to dedicate oneself to the amendment of one's life is this idea, even in the definition, that it's not just a I'm done kind of thing for most of us. That's comforting to me, right? Because a lot of times I can't, I'm not just like done. I'm done, but I just can't quit sometimes. But it's this dedication that we're going to struggle or wrestle through this sin until we get to the other side of it. 
And that's biblical repentance that, yes, we are sorry, and yes, we, we mourn our sin, and we're, we're just sick of our sin, but also that we want to get away from our sin, and we will dedicate our life to getting away from it. Now, let me just tell you this, because it'll save you some struggle. It's something I've learned over the years. Um, it's not as much about getting away from sin as it is getting close to God. Yeah. See, if you run from sin, but you don't run to anything, most of the time you'll just run to another sin. But if you run to God, the closer you are to God, the farther maybe we'll get away from some of these things in our life. But we're going to talk about this idea of repentance today. I'm going to back it up with more than a Webster definition. We're going to be in Hebrews chapter 4. Now, Hebrews is a uh, letter written to the Jewish church, a, a group of people that used to be Jewish people that you know, kept the law and they made the sacrifices, but now they've converted to Christianity and they're following Christ and they believe his sacrifice is enough. And this whole letter, whoever it's written by, some people say Paul, some people say Timothy. I looked it up last night and there's like a 25 people long list of who might have written this letter. Um, it doesn't really matter who wrote this letter, by the way, but whoever wrote this letter was speaking to these people, and what he was trying to get across was this idea of the supremacy of Christ, that we don't have to wrap ourselves in this religion that used to make us feel good, but we can actually turn to a relationship with Christ who is superior to all the sacrifices in the Old Testament and who's superior to all the festivals and who's superior to all these things that we used to do and I'll be honest, the book of Hebrews, for most of us, it's lost on us because we are not Jewish people. We don't understand the, the festivals because we probably never kept the festivals. And we, we don't understand kind of some of the intricacies in here. But, but there's so much good stuff about just who Christ is in here and how he is enough in here. It would be a shame if we didn't ever talk about this book. So this morning, we're going to talk about Hebrews 4, and I love Hebrews 4. You may notice that as we read through some of this, because I quote it every Sunday morning that I've ever got up to preach uh, in the prayer, right? Like maybe some of you are sick of hearing it. If you were trying to make fun of me, you'd talk with your hands a lot, and you'd quote this a lot, and you'd probably put definitions up on the wall. Like that would be kind of the stereotypical Brad things, and this is one of those, but I love this. I remember the first time I read it, I was at a place called Lyft. It's a worship leader conference, and I was just sitting there that morning, and I was reading, and I just flipped it open to Hebrews because that used to be my Bible reading plans, just open it up, and wherever you open it up to, you read. And this is the only thing I ever remember reading, doing that, by the way. Most of the other stuff was like they were in a battle and this dude gets killed and, you know, like that was it. So maybe that's not the best reading plan for me. Maybe that's your thing, but it's not my thing. <laughs> But I opened it up to Hebrews 4, and I just remember reading this. And at this point in time, I was struggling with, like, God, do you want me to preach? Like, I don't preach like those people because I don't know if you've noticed. Like, I'm not Louis Giglio or Francis Chan or any of those guys. I kind of preach weird where I just start at a verse and go down through the verse. And that used to really bother me because I was like, that's not how you're supposed to do it. It's never what I've seen. You're just supposed to stand up there and tell a story and relate it to this verse. Or you just jump around the whole Bible the whole time. And, and I can't do any of that. I'm not, and I've never, I guess I've not lived an exciting enough life to, you know, relate my stories to these stories. And, and I don't know enough of the Bible to start here and go all the way through to the end. I just can't do that. But I can start at a verse and go down. And I remember reading this and God was just like, you'll be fine. You're, you, you'll be fine. Here's what it says, by the way, in, in 12. Uh, For the word of God is living and it's effective and it's sharper than any two-edged sword 
uh, penetrating as far as to divide the soul and the spirit, the joints and the marrow. Now, I think we've heard that probably before, if you've been here before, um, because it's like the only thing I've ever memorized in the Bible. Um, But it's there. And as somebody who was struggling with, like, God, I don't preach like those people. This was comfort to me, and it just kind of blew my heart up because, again, all I, all I can do, it's not even that impressive, right? I start at this verse and just read down through there and then get to somewhere at the end of that. And that's not really like a lot of preachers that I've seen before. But God was like, hey, um, just letting you know my word is enough. My word is living. Yeah, not, not my stories, right? They're not living, but my, my word is living. So he's like, you don't have to tell stories. Nobody cares about your stories. You're kind of boring. Um, so the word is living. And basically what that just means is like this book holds a claim that no other book has ever been able to hold on the planet. Like, right, like in most books, you've read it, you've read it, you kind of know. Like some people are like diehard fans and you'll read the same book over and over and over again. I don't really know what you're doing because um, once you've read it, you've read it. Uh, I don't read books anyway, so maybe that's just me. Um, reading ruins great movies. That's all I know. Um, all you Harry Potter people, it's not as good as the book. It's not, who cares? It's a movie. Watch it. Enjoy. Um, but <laughs> Sorry. Stepping on toes this morning. Um, but this word is, is amazing. It's living. Like no matter how many times you read the same passage over and over and over again, the God who wrote it is living and it's his breath on this page. And he's just breathing different meanings of the same word into our heart over and over and over again. Like who's still sitting around reading books that were written this long ago? Not very many people. And this word today is just as relevant today as it was yesterday, as it was 2,000 years ago, as it will be if we're still here 2,000 years from now. This word is a word that God makes this promise that the, the elements will even dissolve and pass away, but the word of the Lord will stand forever. Like this word holds a claim that no other book has ever held before. This word, we may tattoo it on our body, and every time we read it, like God may speak a different truth to our heart from just those three or four words because it's, it's God's word, and God is living, and he can still breathe this word into our hearts today it's amazing not only that but it says his word is effective that his word is enough that i'm not effective i don't have that promise i I love that i'm not effective anything good you ever hear anything life-changing that ever happens on on this moment from this stage is not because brad knows what he's doing because there's a god who's merciful and brad's standing on his grace today and he'll say amazing things in spite of me not because of me and it says that his word is enough and as, as a young God dealing with, does God want me to preach or not? It was amazing to hear God say, no, my word's good. I don't need you. Just get up and read my word. It'll be enough. Like it does the thing. Like you don't do the thing. It does the thing. That's amazing to me. It's a promise that that as long as we just, we stay in this word that God will change people's hearts and lives and eternities. That's, That's amazing that whatever we're bringing in here today, as long as we bring it to this word, God will change our lives through this word. Not through more messages or more podcasts or more, you know, like worship songs. Those things are all great. But like this is the stuff. This is the substance that changes our hearts. He says, my word's enough. And then he says, my word's uh, sharp, sharper than any two-edged sword. Penetrating as far as to divide the soul and the spirit, the joints and the marrow. And like we look at that stuff and we're like soul and spirit. That's kind of the same thing, but it's not. One is this thing that you see, this person that's up here on the stage, this human flesh, my personality. And the other is the thing God breathed inside of me, the, the, the thing that is God in me. And he promises if you'll just come to this word that, that he'll separate all that human stuff, he'll cut that out of us and make us more like him. 
And like, that's what I want for me. And that's what, like, I would, if I didn't believe God did that, I would never get up on the stage again. Like, what would be the point coming in here every week and just preaching a word to people that are never going to hear a word, never going to be changed? Like, what would be the point? Like, if all we were doing is memorizing this thing and, like, agreeing with this thing, what would be the point? The point is God changes people's lives for eternity, that there is a God who just through the power of his word can, can defeat things in our life that we think are unstoppable today. That those giants that are in our way that we think are, we're never going to get around of sin and guilt and shame and hurt and heartache and struggle and, and past and addiction, that there, there's a God who can come in today and he can separate us from all those things that we might actually get past that roadblock through his word. And man, that's, that's amazing to me. So I pray that every week because I don't want to just get up here and be like, hey, I went to the store yesterday and uh, let me relate it to this verse because that's about my yesterday, right? I went to the town and country. I bought hot dogs. Here's a Bible verse. If that was how I preached, like you would probably not be here. Um, and God just said to me in those verses, like, it's fine. I can do it. You don't have to do it. Just say yes and I'll do what we need to do. And you're like, well, how does that relate to me? I'm not... I'm not struggling with, do I need to be a preacher? Well, A, um, Paul says that we should all be teachers by now. And then B, um, for us who've walked in the room today, I'm just saying that, like, this word is enough. And I don't know what you're dealing with today or struggling with today, but this word is enough. Like, this word is supreme. This word is all we need. We don't need, like, more church attendance or more Christian songs or to change our wardrobe or to even change our actions. Like, God will do it if we will get in his word. If we as the church would read the word of God, God would transform the church today into something way different than we've ever experienced before. We've never seen church like God intends for church to be. We've never been part of a church like God intends for church to be because we've never been in a church that reads and, and loves the word of God. So if nothing else today, you don't hear anything else today, if you know Jesus, his goal for you is to love this word, that you would just get in it and you would trust what he says. It doesn't matter how many times you read it. It doesn't matter how many times, like some of us are like, I read it that one time, I'm good. No, we're not good. It's living. It's different every time we come to it. I didn't even understand what any of it was saying until like the third or fourth time through. What do you, what'd you get out of it? I have no idea. I don't even know what I read. I don't even know what book I'm in. I'm just reading. Like, I don't know. (laughs) And that's okay. Just keep reading. Just keep reading. Just keep reading because God will speak to you. If all you ever do is like, just go, uh, I don't know, find a short book, find one of those five chapter books. Ephesians sounds good. And just read it over and over and over and over and over again. Every single day, read the book of Ephesians, and God will transform your life. Just learn to love the Word of God. And as we learn to love the Word of God, because it's always new and it's always speaking to our hearts, we will see that it is enough to to rescue us and that it is enough to change our lives forever. And that's what I'm saying. Maybe you're going to be a pastor, maybe you're not, but we still all, every person that knows Jesus should love this word and invest our lives in it because God will change us through it, not through a message. You don't hear enough messages. You don't hear enough messages. Even if you listen to podcasts all day long, you don't hear enough messages to change your life. You don't pray enough prayers to change your life. Prayer is great and it's effective, but God promises change comes through the word. And we got to invest in this. This is the word of God is living and it's effective and it's sharp, sharper than any two-edged sword, able by the soul and the spirit, the joints and the marrow. And you're like, where are you going with that today, Brad? Um, it says this, it says, it can judge the ideas and the thoughts of the heart. This very word, this is probably the reason we don't like to read it, uh, can, can read us. 
Like, I don't know your thoughts and your ideas and your motives and your motivations. I don't know any of that stuff. But the word, it won't let you lie to yourself. Right? What's the, what's the Bible say about the heart? It's deceptively wicked. It'll lie to you. It'll say, you're, you're good. You're religious. You're, you're saved. You're whatever. And maybe you're not. And this word will let you know. And that's why we don't like it. It stings. Because uh, over and over and over again, it disagrees with the way we live. And it tells us, like, this is not the way you're supposed to do this thing. And culture says, do what you want and do what feels good. And the word says, that's not biblical. That's not biblical. The word never says, do what you want, do what feels good. It says, if this is all there is, if this life is all there is, eat, drink, and be merry, right? It says, if there's no resurrection, do whatever you want. But the, the word speaks about the fact that there's more to life than this, and there is a resurrection. And it will not let you live just however you want to live. And that's why we don't read it. Because if you read it and you know it, you're, you're accountable to it. But let me just tell you this, you're accountable to it either way. Know it or not, you have it, you own it, you can find it, you can Google it, you can look it up. You're accountable to it either way if you know Christ. So Christ's people need to get in his word. It goes on and just kind of shifts gears. We've talked about the word, and if you don't know by now, the word of God uh, is living and effective and it's sharp, but it's also Jesus. Right, John 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And then you skip down a little bit, and it says the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us. The Word, the thing that does all these things, the thing that is living and effective and sharp and that reads the thoughts and intentions of our heart, that's Jesus. And if you love Jesus, you'll love his Word. It's not optional. You can't love Jesus without the Word because Jesus is the Word. It goes on, and it seems to shift gears, but it does, and it says, No creature is hidden from him. Now the word is a hymn. <laughs> it says, No creature is hidden from this hymn, this hymn being God, that no creature is hidden from God. Now what is a creature? A creature is any created thing, right? Like a, a creature is just created thing. That's what that word means. So you're either God or you're a creature, Right? God is the creator. He's the only one that created, and everything that he created is a creature, which means like no creature is hidden from God, that God sees everything in all of creation, that the things that we will never with our most powerful telescopes be able to see and our most powerful microscopes be able to know that exist, God knows them and he sees them, and they're not hidden from him. You may never know it's a thing, but God knows it a thing. He knows it's a thing, and he sees everyone. That the, the farthest star that would ever be like reached from here, what if there even is an edge to the galaxy? Like God knows what's going on there. And then the like the very core of our planet, like God knows what's going on there. God knows like where this tiny little frog is that we've never discovered and may never discover it on some leaf in the middle of a mountain in the rainforest. Like he knows what that guy's eating for lunch today. <laughs> And then the darkest part of our ocean, whatever's down there, God knows what they're thinking about. That the biggest star that exists in our galaxy, God sees it burning in the tiniest microscope, the tiniest atom or whatever's inside of the atom and whatever's inside of inside of the atom that we'll never find. Like God sees it and he knows what it's doing today. No creature, no created thing is hidden from God. That, that blows my mind. That blows my mind. Wouldn't you, wouldn't you love that? Like you... I'm just, I'm aware of everything. I'm like not even aware of what I ate for lunch yesterday. And God is like aware of everything. 
And what's amazing about God is like we have this this like tunnel vision, right? Like I can see this side of the room, but I can't see this side of the room right now. I can kind of see my hand, but I, I don't know what's happening over there. And if I want to see this side of the room, I've got to turn and i got to look at it. And then now I don't know what's over here. So I don't know what John's doing. I know he's there. I just saw him, but I don't know what he's doing. But God doesn't have vision like that. God sees everything at all times. No creature is hidden from him. You can't hide from God is what he's saying. And here's the thing. We are a creature. We're a created thing. So what's amazing about that is God sees you. He knows you. He loves you. He cares for you. You're not lost to God. He hasn't left you. Like he sees you at all times. He, he, he knows you in, in a better way than you know you. No creature is hidden from God. God, you're on God's radar today. That's amazing. But like he keeps writing and it gets probably less amazing. Um, and it says, but all things are naked and exposed to the eyes of him who we must give an account. No, no creature is hidden from God, but God sees everything. It says he's, that, that everything is naked and exposed before God. And this doesn't mean like God sees everybody naked. Like I don't, don't read it like that. Um, I think you're missing the point if you read it like that. But what do clothes do? They hide things. And what he's saying here is you can't hide anything from God. Now, think about this. What what is creature, God, naked? What what picture, even if we're not Jewish today, what, what story might that draw us back to? We're in this garden moment, right? Where there's a creator and then there's all of creation and God sees all of creation. And, and, and here is the, these people that God said, hey, don't do this. And then they, they did it. And God walked in the garden. And he's like, where are you at? But he knows where they're at. And he's like, what have you done? Did somebody, somebody tell you you were naked? Like, have you ate the, ate the fruit? God knew, right? Like God knew what they had done. God knew that they had sinned. They had come against God. They transgressed against God. They had, they had fallen from what he had told them to do. They, they, God knew that. So what is he speaking to an audience as they hear this story? God knows you. And he knows what you've done. True story. God knows you. And he knows everything you've done. Stuff that you can hide from me and church people and family and and your best friend and and everybody else on the planet. You can't hide that from God. He he knows every action, every thought, every word. He he knows even, even the thoughts and intentions of your heart. Maybe it never even made it out, but he knows, right? He knows. And there's no way to hide that from God. And see, like some of us, we try to like make these little leaf skirts and like walk around, right? Like cover everything. Like, oh, if I just do this thing, God won't see it. If I do this thing, like people won't know. If I, if I do this thing, I, I can hide all this from everybody. And the truth of it is you can hide it from everybody but one somebody, and that somebody's God. God knows the depth of our wickedness. I don't know the depth of your wickedness. I know the depth of mine, but probably not even in the way that God does. Because my heart's deceptively wicked. I will lie to myself about how bad that I really am, but I can't lie to God about it. And it says, it just finishes up that thought to the eyes of whom we must give an account. What's he do in the garden? Hey, uh, what'd you do? Oh, yeah, I did, I did this, but it was this, it was this thing. Oh, yeah, I did this, this is this thing, I did this. You know, like they had to stand before God, and they had to, this is what I did. And they got to blame, like, other things, other people, but, but really, like, we got to take some blame sometime. 
like the thing our culture is worst about today is, is taking blame. We're really good at assigning blame. Like we'll put blame on everybody else. Like, oh, I did this and it was wrong, but I did it because of this thing. See, the truth of it is nobody can make you do a thing except for you. So at the, at the root of the action, when we get to it, what, what's the problem? Our, our sin is not because somebody offered us something or did something to us. Our sin is because our heart is wicked and it's on us. And one day, every person that, that was ever breathed is going to have to stand before God, and we're going to have to give an account. And what that is is just like we're going to have to pull out the receipt of the credit charges, right? We're going to have to be like, I did this, and 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 I did this. Have you ever went through your credit card statement? And it's like Walmart, Walmart, Food City, gas, 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 right? Like, because drive, um, that's expensive. But you've went through there and you're like, you're looking at all the charges that you've accumulated. This is, this is, this is the image we're going to have to stand before God one day and we're going to have to read off our, our credit slip. I don't know what that's going to look like for you, but like they're going to have to roll it out in filing cabinets for me. Good thing we have eternity because it may take a while. <laughs> and I'm going to have to stand before God and I'm just going to have to confess what I've done. Now that sounds horrible, right? Like even forgiven, that sounds like the worst. But here's the reality, just letting you know today, everything you read is like none of that's going to shock God. God will not be shocked. You can't shock God if, if he's sees all creatures and nothing is hidden from him, he already knows what's in every filing cabinet. Now, how foolish is it to try to hide something from a God who knows everything? It's a waste of time. It's a waste of energy and effort because you can't do it. God sees everything, but yet we like hide things from God because here's what happens when we sin. Like Adam, we do what? We run. We hear God and we're like, nope, 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 nope. Don't want anything to do with that. I don't want him to know. I don't want him to know. And we go and we try to get behind a tree, but there's no tree big enough to like hide us from God. And we go and we try to like sew the leaves together, but there's no leaves like thick enough to hide us from God. We, we cannot hide from God, but we, we do the same thing that happened in the garden. And I think this is the reason in Hebrews, we're talking about this story to a bunch of Jewish people that would have known the Old Testament, probably memorized large chunks of it, especially the beginning sections of it. And he says, no creature is hidden from him. And they would have went right back to the garden. And, and this is the moment that he's drawing us into, this moment where Adam and Eve have sinned and their sin has caused them to run and hide from God. And he's looking at a bunch of Christians now, and he's saying, it doesn't make sense. See, the truth of it is, shame from sin will say what? You can't pray right now. You can't talk to God right now. You can't go to church right now. You can't act like you're good right now. Here's the hint, never act like you're good because you're not. Uh, you can't go in there with a smile on your face. You can't be real right now. You can't read your Bible right now. Have you ever heard those words? And none of that's from God. But God doesn't look at you and say, hey, you, sh- you shouldn't read your Bible right now. I'm really disappointed in you. You shouldn't pray right now. I just, I don't want to hear from you. No, no, don't come to church today after what you did yesterday. I don't want to hear from you. 
But God never says those words to us. And if we hear those words, we're hearing them from the same voice that said, hey, do the thing in the first place. Because his goal is to do what? To drive us from God. And God's goal is to what? To offer us a way back in. That's, that's the Father's heart this morning is to say, hey, come in. Come back in. I, I know you do dumb stuff. I can see everything. But don't let your dumb stuff cause you to run from the only person that can help. And this is this, is this tension that he, he leaves us in at the, at the end of 13. And he writes in 14, Therefore, because of this, because, because this is this God. This is the God that sees everything and he knows everything. And you're going to have to stand before him one day and give an account anyway. Because this is a reality. Whether you believe it or you don't believe it, whether you are an atheist or agnostic or a Christian or a Buddhist or a Muslim or whatever your thing is, it doesn't matter. It doesn't make God less and it doesn't make this less real. He says, this is a reality today. For every person that's ever breathed, every, every creature is going to stand before God and they're going to give an account. And he says, because of that or therefore, and then he gives this thing. Since we have a great high priest who's passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast to the confession now we heard some buzzwords in there that we like associate right like jesus christ we know who that guy is he's the son of god and and we can confess but again who's who's he writing this book to he's writing this book to a bunch of people that used to be jewish and they knew the festivals and they knew kind of the roles of everybody and they knew the temple system and the the sacrifices they knew all that and this is the audience he's writing this to and what he's saying is yes because of jesus we can confess but there's something that's lost on us as we read this and it's this 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 idea of this great high priest who's passed through the heavens now, high priest, he has like a couple roles. This is the like the the priest, right? Like, there's these other priests, and they do things, but like they're really just peasant priests. And like, here's this guy who's like in charge. He's he's the guy. All the other guys, they can do some of the things, but he's the only one that can do this amazing thing. And on on one day, one time a year, uh, he he has this role, and it's on the Day of Atonement. It's coming up, I think, in I don't remember, September, October, or something like that's when they celebrate it, but. On this one day, one time a year, this priest would make a sacrifice for himself because he's a sinner. I think Leviticus 4 or 5, something like that, talks about priests have to sacrifice for themselves because they're sinners. Newsflash, everybody is, even the high priest. He has to make a sacrifice for himself, but after he does that and he gets like ritually clean, um, he would go in and he would, he would make this sacrifice... And the sacrifice wasn't for him or for one person or two people. It was for like the whole of Israel. He'd take this animal and he would slaughter it and he would collect its blood. And then after he was clean and he'd done all the right things, he would move into an area of the temple that no one was allowed to go in except this one guy one time a year. And it's called the Holy of Holies. Like certain people in the temple, it was set up kind of in this different structures some people could only get like in the courtyard and some people had to stay in the back and some people could come to the front and some people couldn't even go in and then there was this place they would make the sacrifices and things like that and the priest could go into that but there was one room that only one day a year one man could enter and it was called the holy of holies and it had to be the high priest 
And he had to do it the right way because if he didn't do it the right way, he would probably die in the room. And then they would have to, like they would attach a rope to his leg and bells on his robe. And as he was walking through there, if you hear the bells stop, then the guy died because he's not moving anymore. And they would like drag you out the rope because they can't go in there. And there were some amazing things in this room, but like the main amazing thing in this room is there was this thing called the Ark of the Covenant. If you've ever seen Indiana Jones, like a gold box. Inside the box, there were these tablets. On the tablets, there were the Ten Commandments, and there was a jar of manna, like from the wilderness, this bread from heaven. And then there was this rod of Aaron that budded, and they were all in the Ark. And there was a lid on the Ark, and that was called the mercy seat. And on top of the mercy seat, there were these cherubim, and they had their arms stretched out kind of toward each other. Again, go watch Indiana Jones, right, like later. Um, It's on Netflix right now. And, And then, like, in between the cherubim dwelt the physical manifestation of the presence of God or the glory of God on planet Earth. Like this man, one time a year, got to go in and be in the presence of God to make this sacrifice. And he would go in and he would take this blood of this animal one time a year and he would sprinkle it on the mercy seat, that that lid that was between God and the law. So that when the presence of God looked down, what he didn't see anymore was the law. What he saw was was the blood, the sacrifice. Now rewind, he says, we have a great high priest. Not like an average high priest or a slightly above average high priest, but like a, a superior one, a different kind of high priest. And then it says who passed through the heavens, who didn't work, walk through this veil in the temple that separates the regular people from from god but he like passed into the heavens when he passed into the heavens he took not the blood of some bull or goat but he took his blood and he sprinkled it on the mercy seat in heaven so that when god looks at me what he sees is the blood of this lamb not not this law that i've broken That's amazing because what we ended with is God sees everything and he knows everything. And we're going to have to stand before him and we're going to have to give an account. And then he he jumps right into, but we have mercy. Not because one day a year, one man gets to walk into the presence of God over and over and over again and make this sacrifice for us, but because Jesus one time and for everybody has made a sacrifice. And if we, we believe that and we, we, we kind of pull into that and we, we say that that's enough. I don't have to do the rituals and the things. I don't have to make the sacrifices, but God has forgiven me because of what Jesus has done. When we, when we engage with that, When God sees us, he doesn't see our sin. He sees his son's blood. And we're forgiven. Therefore, because we have a superior or better or a different kind of high priest who doesn't go in some room once a year and sprinkle some blood on a thing for me to mess it up again the next day and the next day and the next day to accumulate another year's worth of stuff for him to sprinkle some more blood on there the next year we have a different kind of high priest who one time for everybody has 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 shed his blood for our forgiveness jesus christ the son of god Let us hold fast to the confession. This word hold fast is a word we don't really use very often. But it's a word that means to cling to or to to grasp tightly. 
let us cling to confession. Let us, let us hold on to firmly confession. What, what's he saying? He's saying that repentance should be a regular occurrence for those of us that know Jesus. That yes, we do sin and we do mess up and we do fail and and we don't have it all together and we're tomorrow not going to have it all together and the next day we're not going to have it all together and 30 years from now we're not going to have it all together. But for the next 30 years and beyond, we have this avenue that is Jesus Christ, the Son of God, to go in before God and to look up and say, I am sorry. I don't want to do this and I don't want to live this way. And I need your forgiveness, but I need your grace to get out of it. Let us cling to the confession. Now, if what we end with in 13 is this idea that sin makes us hide from God. That sin wants to separate us. That shame comes in and wants us to run from God. What we see in 14 is the Father's heart. I don't want you to run. Unless you're running to me. God is not shocked that we are sinners. God is not shocked about what you did Yesterday or what you're going to do tomorrow. He's not shocked. And what he's saying to us is, I want you to keep the receipts short. I don't want you to get the monthly credit card statement out, the filing cabinet full of charges out. I don't want you to do that. I want you over and over and over and over again to come in and let me say, it's good, it's good, it's good, it's good, it's good, it's good, it's good. And, and every time he just puts his blood on, it's good, it's good, it's paid for. I got this, it's good, it's paid for. Don't worry about it. I got this, it's paid for. He wants us to come to him, not run from him. And that's what we see here. He's saying to these people, I know that your system, your system is dragging in the cow every time but that's not God's system God's system has come on I've already done it He says, let's hold fast to the confession. And he goes on, he says, for we do not have a high priest like that guy who's unable to sympathize with our weaknesses but one who has been tested in every way as we are, yet, listen, without sin. What's he saying? He says, Jesus has been tested in every way. As he came down here, you remember, there's a story, right, about where he's out in the wilderness, he hasn't eaten for like 40 days, and and the devil himself walks up. And he's like, dude, you're the son of God. There's stones right there. You 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 can break your fast right now. You can turn those stones into bread. I know you're hungry. What's Jesus say? Man doesn't live by bread alone, but by what? The word of God. It happens three times. That's just the story that we get, right? Like, wonder what the rest of the 33 and a half years look like. And Jesus is like, I get it. I get it. I, I, never, I never sinned, but man, it was, it was there. It was offered. Can you imagine, like, you're not Jesus, and 
maybe the devil doesn't even have to really try anything with you, but like this is the son of God. If he got him to sin one time, it was all over, right? 33 and a half years and never sinned one time. Look at this, look at this, look at this. You want this? You want this? Look at this, look at this. You want, you want this thing over here? Jesus is saying, he's not standing in heaven saying, God, you're an idiot. I can't believe you. I can't believe you did that. I can't believe you. You fell for that. You did it again. That's not Jesus. He's saying, I get it. Come on. I, I, I get it. Come on. Jesus is not shocked at our failure. He, he actually came to die because he knew we were failures, right? He says, therefore, because of this, he's just building this picture. Sin makes us want to run from God, but God sent his son to, to cover sin. And while he was here, he, he, he was tested and he gets it. And because of that, this is what he says, let us... Let, let God's people, let us approach the throne of what? Grace. What kind of throne is it? It's a throne of grace, not a throne of judgment or looking down on others or any of that. It's not a throne of punishment or a throne of anger. It's a throne of grace. God today is sitting on a throne of grace. Says, let's, let's approach the throne of grace with boldness, with our heads held high, not crawling in, hoping that God doesn't see us. But with boldness, so that what? So we may receive mercy and find grace to help us at the proper time. This is what he says. I know the temptation today is to run from God. Like, like really, anybody been there? Like, I've been there. You do something and you're like, I can't come in, I can't come in, I can't pray. I've heard that. I can't, I can't even tell you how many times I've heard that. Don't ask God for forgiveness right now. What kind of jerk move is that? You just did it. You knew. I've heard that. Don't try to read your Bible right now, you fake. I've heard that. Don't go in church right now acting like you're not who you are. You can't go in that place. You can't get close to God. You can't, you can't be around God. I've heard that voice over and over and over and over and over again. And sometimes, we don't we assign that to God? God doesn't want to hear from me right now. God doesn't want me around right now. I just want to say today, that is not God. That is not his heart. That's not what God has for us. That's not what God's saying to us today. If you're here and run from God, run from God, run from God, God has never one time told people to run from God. It's always run to God. If you're here and run to God today, that's from God. Anywhere else that we're running today, not from God. How do you know that? Because A, I know that God already knows everything that we've done. And on the cross, Jesus has already taken care of everything that we've done. When Jesus said, it is finished, he didn't mean up until September the whatever day, 2000 blank, 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 when we just messed up again, or we did it that, that extra time, or we kept falling into the same pit and the same trap. He didn't say any of that. 
When he said it is finished, he meant one time for everybody. This is the sacrifice. This is the shed blood. This is the moment where I took all the wrath and I climbed up on this cross for you. I took your sinner's crown and I gave you my crown of righteousness. This is the moment where they pierced my hands instead of your hands. This is the moment where they poked my side. They stabbed me in the side, not your side. This is the moment where I took all your bruising and beating, not so you could again be bruised and beaten so you could be healed and made whole. This is the sacrifice. It is is finished. At that moment, he breathed out his last breath and Jesus stepped not just into some room, right? The veil ripped in half in the temple where God said, no more, no more tents, no more, no more places where you can't come in. Everybody can come in. We're done with the high priest thing. We don't need another high priest. We don't need another guy to come in and make a sacrifice for us. Jesus made the sacrifices. He stepped into the heaven. God ripped down the temple, right? And he said, we're done with this. If you want to come, you can come there's nobody standing at the door today saying don't come in God's house there's nobody standing in front of a curtain today saying you're not good enough to come in here God ripped open the curtain and he said everybody can come in here every single time I know what you did yesterday I know what you're going to do today I know what you're going to do tomorrow I know what you're going to do 25 years from now I know everything you're going to do and on the cross when I said it is finished I meant everything you're ever going to do is finished and it's paid for and what your job is today is not just come one time when you're 11 but come over and over over and over and over and over again because this is the Father's heart today. He's not trying to keep us out and away because of our sin. He's saying, bring it here. Bring it in. Come close. Come in. I've made a way you can come in, so come in. So if you're feeling far away today, it's not because God's got you at arm's length today. He's saying, no. Hold on to the confession. Cling to the cross. Cling to the moment of mercy. Step in to the throne of grace. If you're feeling like God didn't see you today, it's not because God has shut his eyes to you today. It's because you've shut your eyes to God. Maybe your head has got so heavy under the weight of that sin that you're looking down so much you can't look up and God's saying, hey, it's a throne of grace today. So I don't know who I'm speaking to today, but I know if you feel far, God's speaking to you today. And I don't know who I'm speaking to today, but if you feel like like God shut you out today, God's speaking to you today. And he's saying to anybody and everybody today, you can come as close as you want to be. What's the Bible say? Draw near to me and I'll draw near to you. I've made a way, so come on in. And when you come in, I'm coming back. I'm coming with you. Oh, you feel like you're so burdened down with sin and shame and guilt. Well, let's take it off, buddy. Let's take it off at the cross. You can get that off your back today. Because it's a throne of grace. It's not a throne of judgment and condemnation and running you out the door today. It's a throne of grace. And God's saying, come and cling to the confession. So I don't know where we are today. But I know where God is today. He's sitting on a throne of grace and he's saying to everybody, doors open. Doors open. So come in. You can come in. And you can come close. Through Jesus and what he's done. I know sometimes we hear that and we're like, that's a salvation message. Maybe for some of you it is, but for me it's just a reminder. I don't have to be far from God today. 
God's heart for me today is not that I would be far, but it's that I would be near. Not that I would just not go to hell, but that I would be embraced by God. It's not a throne of anger today. It's a throne of acceptance. It's not a throne of condemnation today. It's a throne of comfort. And God's saying to every single one of us today, come on in. But I want you to know today, if you're coming close to God, closeness to God never starts anywhere else, but I'm sorry. If God's going to do something amazing in your life today, I want you to know it never comes through anything else. But first, I'm sorry. Every great movement of God has first come from a great movement of repentance. Every great work that God's ever done has first come through a moment of, God, I'm not good. But I want you. So today, for all of us, maybe it's a moment that God's saying, let's start at that repentance place. Let's get into a posture today of, I'm sorry, 